All right, we are gathering together, and this is what I call pre-Christmas. This isn't the Christmas series, it's, uh, it's pre-Christmas. And uh, I, I don't, I, listen, I don't know how you're feeling today, but, you know, we kind of knew going into the fall um, in August, September, it's like, wow, this is going to be um, some kind of busy, some kind of crazy, some kind of, I mean, the, the Lord is doing something and we get to be a part of it and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, it's just like, whoa, this is kind of, you know, heavy. And we're kind of halfway through because we consider, you know, the Christmas outreach a big deal. So we're about halfway through that. And uh, so we just want to take a moment. Let's just take, a, uh, just take a collective deep breath and just hold it for a second, okay? Let's just breathe it in. Hold it. Let it out slowly. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we come before you, we pray against the heaviness. We pray against the weight, God, of this world. We pray and speak boldly against the prince of the power of the air and say, get out. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. We invite you to be here. We invite you to move in our hearts. We invite you to shape who we are. We invite you to prune us today, Lord. We invite you to overwhelm us with an awareness of your love. And we thank you and praise you for what it means for us to be chasing after you. We thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, as we go into this, this is kind of just laying a little bit of a foundation for the Christmas series we're doing. Christmas series that we're going to do is kind of a, you know, little uh, Polar Express, but we're on our way to Bethlehem because the right direction to go for Christmas is Bethlehem, not the North Pole. And so um, we're looking at that and we're enjoying that in the, in the course of um, thinking about this whole journey um, and everybody that was moving around in all the pieces parts, um, I was thinking about this passage from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, where Isaiah says, How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings and proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And it's just that whole idea. And so um, maybe you're looking up here, you're saying, listen, those are the most awful looking shoes I've ever seen on a human being in all of my life. And I would say these are probably the most obnoxious shoes that I, I happen to have. And if you haven't seen them here, let me just show them to you. They're kind of obnoxious, you know. Um, they kind of go with my car, and that's just who I am. It's what I am. Um, and so I have them. As a matter of fact, um, these shoes are like, uh, turn the battery off. Kind of, you know, like unplug those things like your kids. Um, there was a group of people from Berea here this morning that said, we saw the great light, and we followed your shoes to the vineyard. It was great. And it's not, not really. It wasn't quite that bad. But it was like, oh, my word. But the, the point of the matter is, I want to talk to you about feet, shoes, and walking today. Believe it or not, to lay groundwork for Christmas, that's what I actually want to talk about today. And uh, so we're going to kind of jump into this thing right now. Um, uh, I, I did a little bit of research and, and, uh, and Googled some stuff and started writing some things down. And in Footwear News, in August 21st of this year, they did a survey of a couple of thousand um, people on phone. They just called them up and said, hey, I want to talk to you about your shoes. It's like, okay. Um, so there's 2,000 adult people, and they found that the average woman in America owns six pair of running shoes. Six pair of running shoes, and they don't even run. It's like, what? I mean, come on. If you're going to own two pair, that's good. You know, you might have some pink ones and some, you know, light blue ones. But if you're going to own six pairs, run. But in America, the average woman owns six pair of running shoes. Now listen, I saw some of you husbands look at your wives. 
I did. I saw you're like, babe, you got to start running. The pastor's calling you out today. It is on. Hey, that same poll discovered that the average man in America owns seven pair of running shoes. Ladies, if you will, look at your man. And now say to him, pastor's calling you out. It is time for you to start running. Let's go. You can do that. All right. But isn't that crazy? We just love our running shoes. They're comfortable to work in. They're comfortable to walk around in. They're just absolutely comfortable. I also looked at uh, footlevelers.com and check this out. This will scare you. No one wears the same shoes all the time. We've got different shoes for different things. That's the whole point. There's more to life than the office and the gym. Okay? We get that. In fact, the average American owns an average of 19 pair of shoes. 19 pair of shoes per adult in your house. I had a lady stop me after first service and go, 19. Those people are amateurs. It's like, whoa, I helped a lady move one time, and she, make, she begged us, don't count my shoes. Well, if somebody says don't do something, you know how we are as Americans, you're going to do it, right? You put the little you know, candle in front of your baby and say, don't touch the flame, just blow it out. And the first thing the baby does is touch the flame, okay? I mean, that's how they roll. That's what they do. You know, the sign says don't sit here, it's wet paint. First thing you do as an adult is reach over and make sure they're not lying. You know, you just can't trust the sign. 19 pair of shoes, I promise you, a good number of you are here and go, well, I got these shoes and I got these shoes. Okay, you, you've, you've been adding up your shoes since I said you've got 19 pair of shoes and you're trying to come up and say, I'm, I'm below the average. I've only got 17 pair. I'm good. You know, the rest of them are heathens and pagans, but I only have like 17 pair of shoes and I'm good to go. It's like, what in the world? I don't know, but we are absolutely fascinated with shoes. In 1985, these were my shoes. This is, this is what I wore in 1985. I had a pair of those. I wished I had a pair of those today. Those shoes can be bought in Chicago for $32,000 used. Used shoes from 1985 for $32,000. Man, I wish my wife would stop throwing my stuff away. Please. My records are worth a fortune and I don't have them anymore. My shoes that were probably wore out. I saw a pair when I was just Googling this that were signed by Michael Jordan. They were like $349,000. The shoes were bought at the shoe store, worn to a game. He signed them. And some of you are going like, I had a pair of those. Didn't we? Weren't we rich at one point? Isn't that crazy? And some of you are going, hmm, what do I have in the closet right now? Don't throw your shoes away. Don't get rid of your shoes. I don't care what your spouse says for another 20, 30 years. Hang on to them babies, okay? You might be able to put a child through college, okay? Might, not will, but might. Scripture that we're talking about today, in fact, is uh, because we're headed into um, Christmas. That is the direction that we're going. But this, this passage has nothing to do with Christmas. I just was thinking about shoes and feet and the journey that took place in Christmas, and I just made a connection there. That's all I did. So I'm going to take you to the book of Luke, chapter 4. This is Jesus. He's been uh, baptized, went out in the wilderness, was tempted by the devil. That's all done, and then he goes back up to Galilee, okay? So he's gone from Jordan area, Jerusalem, back up to um, Galilee, 
And then we have the scripture open up for us. Jesus returned to Galilee. That, I just want you to know that I don't make this stuff up, okay? So if I tell you that Jesus went back up to Galilee, it's because I actually know that it says right there, he went back up to Galilee, okay? And so I just want to encourage you in that. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. You see how happy they are. He taught in there. When Jesus was running, when he was walking, when he was traveling, when he was journeying, he still made it a point of his to go to church. Huh. Something for us to learn there. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. It says, and he stood up and he read the scroll of the uh, prophet Isaiah, excuse me, he stood up, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue, they were, everybody's looking at him. It's like, now what are you going to do? Now listen, um, Sunday morning is not a place that you should be coming and anticipating that if you come enough Sunday mornings, you should get a Bible college degree. That is not the purpose of Sunday morning. The, the, the purpose of Sunday morning is to share a scripture with you about the life of Jesus, and ha, whether it's from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and then speak and say, Lord, what are you saying to us personally? What is the thing that we as a congregation in central Kentucky, we need to hear from Jesus, and this is what he's calling us out to. That's what we want to do. Jesus, on the other hand, is at that place where he opened up and he read the scroll from Isaiah, and now he's getting ready to say, now let me tell you what's what. He's going to expound on it, Okay. It says, all the people spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Oh, my word, he did such a beautiful job of reading the scriptures. Oh, it was so, so good. Oh, isn't this Joseph's son? And look at how fast it spirals out of control. And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you, you did in Capernaum. And now they've gone from, wow, doesn't he speak well, to, listen, do some of that magic stuff. Come on, do some of that stuff. You've got to do some of that stuff for us, Lord. You've got to step and fetch it for us. You've got to do the things. You gotta, we know you did that up there. We know you did that down there. Come on, we want to see some of it. That's what they're doing. And that's why Jesus is speaking like this. He goes on to say, I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So he's gone from, I read the scroll, to man, this really feels good. We like this guy. He's a good speaker. To, and all the people in the synagogue were furious. What? It's, 
is his first big message coming right out of the gate. He's, he's come out of the wilderness. He's stepped into the synagogue. He's come back to his hometown. He wants to preach the message. He wants to share the gospel. And it says, and all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And they got up and drove him out of town. I'm not, not with a car. And they took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. And he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. That's the passage I want to share with you this morning just to kind of kick things off and get it started. He walked right through the crowd and went on his way. See, he preached this message, and I know a lot of people want to say to me, Pastor Joe, listen, that Jesus, he's so peaceful, he's so loving, he's so gentle, he's so kind, he's so warm and fuzzy, he's so this, he's so that. And it's like, I know, you know, it, it, it Joe Wood is a little bit of a bull in a china shop. I get that. I know that. It's like, if you come in my office and you say, do you like my shirt? I'll look up and say, no, I don't like your shirt. And you'll go out and you say, he was mean to me. He, uh, he didn't like my shirt. He just said he didn't like my shirt. It's like, I tell everybody that I hire, listen, if you ask me a yes or no question, I'm going to give you a yes or no answer, okay? If you want to talk about your shirt, Come into my office and say, hey, do you have a minute? And then I'll put everything aside. And you'll say, hey, I bought this shirt. And then we'll have a discussion. I'll say, do you like that shirt? And you say, yeah. And I'll say, well, I like that shirt because you like that shirt. That's a nice shirt. That, that shirt goes with your eyes. That shirt goes with your shoes. That shirt goes. And we'll have that kind of a discussion. But see, it's not always that way. And yet people will paint Jesus with this big brush that says, he spoke softly he walked slowly he was only always gentle and I'm telling you this guy got up opened up the scroll scroll of Isaiah looked people in the eye and basically said the Gentiles are better people than you are God wouldn't even heal you he healed the Syrian and they had had enough they were going to take him up to the hill and murder him throw him off he they were they were so mad at his sermon and what he said to them his interpretation. And we've kind of got that feeling. It's like, no, I need to feel good. I need this to work. I need this to be okay. But the point that I want to look at here is that he walked right through them and he left. He walked. He walked. He headed out. I did a little research regarding his walks. The Gospels have detailed, according to Ray Downing um, and his blog, the Gospels have given us a detailed account of these walks and the destinations um, of these walks. And it's calculated during the three years of his ministry, he walked 3,125 uh, 3, miles in three years, in the course of three years. Man, I hope he had lots of running shoes. I, I hope he did, because I can wear out a pair of running shoes in about a year, and not running either. <laughs> okay. I need to run. I'm not really big on running unless there's something chasing me. I'll walk fast, okay, and I'll walk a long ways. But it's understood that Jesus walked approximately 3,125 miles, and that's just in the three years of his ministry, okay? That's a lot of walking for a guy wearing sandals. Think about it for a second. I don't know exactly what Jesus wore. He didn't order from Birkenstock. We don't have the catalog that he ordered from. We don't know where he got his sandals. But they looked something like this, okay? Those, those are what people um, believe that sandals looked like 2,000 years ago. And it's pretty close because I've seen some pictures from museums in the Middle East that say these are sandals from 2,000 years ago. And you're like, it looks like a slab of leather, you know, that didn't get eaten by a, a, my dog. Okay, but th there it is. I mean, th that's a, roughly what his sandals looked like. And, and according to Ray, 
This guy walks 3,125 miles in those sandals just in the three years of his ministry when he's walking all around. You know, people make a, a, a big deal out about what people wear to church. They do. I saw a meme the other day, and it said, you know, we could finally save this nation if people would just start dressing up to go to church. That's what the meme said. And I thought, that's all it takes? It said, people need to, we need to get to back where people are wearing suits and ties, where people are doing this, and people are doing this. Jesus didn't have a wardrobe. Jesus had a pair of sandals, Jesus had a robe, and Jesus had a cloak. And I hope that he washed it once a month, I mean once a week. I hope he did. I don't believe he did, but I hope he did. But in any case, we know that he wore sandals. He wore to church what he wore to walk. You ever walked in some place and felt like a church and said, man, I, I, I don't know if I should have come in here. I'm way underdressed. For the most part, for the most part, okay, just say with me generally, you're not underdressed. Jesus says, come as you are. Come as you are. That's what Jesus' invitation is. Come as you are. You don't have to look like everybody else. You don't have to dress like everybody else. You don't have to have church clothes and Sunday clothes and work clothes and all the clothes. Jesus didn't do that. Let that sink in when you're thinking, I can't go to church. I don't have anything to wear. You do. You do. Most of the time when I'm out and about and I invite somebody to church, um, I, I, the last thing I say is, and listen, this is probably what I'm going to preach in. I'm, I, what I'm wearing on Monday is what I'm wearing on Sunday. Maybe I dress it up a little tiny bit. Okay? But it's like, come as you are. And it's like, wow. What would it look like if you suddenly walked everywhere that you had to go? What would it look like? Now, I'm not talking about like if you had to go to Cincinnati or something like that necessarily. But what if we just said, hey, from now on, if you live within six miles of downtown Richmond, you have to walk everywhere. You know there are people in the world today that will get up and walk anywhere from four to eight hours to a church service. And then they'll have a three-hour church service, and then they'll turn around, and they'll walk four to eight hours back to where they're. And you say, Pastor Joe, I know, but those are tribal backwards, you know, simple. It's like, no, 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 that part doesn't matter. These are people that are so hungry for Jesus that they are willing to do that. A friend of mine that was part of a vineyard down in Brazil or supported a vineyard down in Brazil showed me the vineyard church one time and, and the uh, Amazon River had raised to this level of people standing in the church worshiping God and in this you know, stick building that had maybe 80, 90 people in it with a thatched roof, but they weren't missing church. Now listen, I don't know if you know about the Amazon, but the Amazon has piranhas. I'm not going to church with piranhas. Show up with legs, leave with no legs. You know, in the Bible, Jesus shows up to people with no legs, gives them legs. I kind of would like for that to way it works, to be the way it works. But think about it. There are people in the world today that will walk and do that thing. So anyway, when I was thinking about this, I got to thinking about my own shoes, not just these ones I'm wearing that are really bright. I'm not just a little bit embarrassed to be up here wearing them as much as I like them. Like I said, I've owned them for, for a year, and this is the third time I've put them on. But they're fun. They're cute. They're whatever. They're just loud. They're, they're who I am. I get it. Um, that's it. But I got to thinking about my own shoes. And some of you, you've, you've been sitting there. You, you've been calculating what you've got in your closet. You haven't heard a word I said in the last five minutes. 
You haven't. I can see you. You're going like one, two, three, you know. And it's like, ah, you don't think I can see you when I'm up here preaching, but I can. I know who I'm preaching to, okay? When you bumped your wife right before I said you have more shoes than her, okay, and then she nailed you, okay? I watched it all. I watched it all. But check this out. I've got one pair of black shoes, all right? I've got two pair of what I call brown city boots. You know what brown city boots are? Those are kind of the boots that you put on with your jeans um, before you go to like Jeff Ruby's and your wife's like, hey, you're looking pretty good. And I'm like, yes, I am because I want this date night to end well. You know what I'm saying? So you put those, you know, brown city boots on for that kind of action. You know what I'm saying? So I got two pair of brown city boots, okay? And I got some slip-on shoes. And you know what slip-on shoes are, right? Those are the ones your wife said, get rid of your slip-on shoes. And you're like, no. And why do we keep them? Because they're comfortable, right? Yeah, they're eight years old. I mean, honestly, goodness, those shoes are like eight years old. They're frazzled, they're, they're horrible condition, but man, I put those on my feet and it's like, yeah, these are good. I, I can do this, you know. I can go all the way to the mailbox and back, no problem, no problem. And my wife's like, can we please just get rid of them? It's like, no, you gotta have slip-on shoes. And then I got two pair of driving shoes, and one pair I'm wearing right now. Um, I, I, I like driving heel because the heel is bolstered up, it's strengthened up. They put extra cushion in the heel. Okay, and so I got two. I got running shoes for every day. I don't run. Okay, should run, but I, I don't run. But I got a pair of running shoes, and those are my everyday shoes. Okay, I got Sunday go to meeting. That's what we call them. Sunday go to meeting cowboy boots. Okay, my really nice cowboy boots. And then I've got working cowboy boots that I, I can wear around the house. I've got flip flops for the beach. We used to call them thongs, but you can't call them thongs anymore. Okay, you can't do that. You cannot call them thongs. Okay, it's like hmm. You know, way back in the day when we lived in Oklahoma, my, at that time, I think it was a seventh grader, um, was headed off to church camp, you know, basically for the first time he was going to go to church camp. And they give you the list of stuff, you know what I'm saying? It's like bring your toothbrush, bring your toothpaste, bring your soap, bring your pillow, bring your sleeping bag, bring your thongs for the shower. And he came to us right before it's time to go to camp. And he said, hey, I don't think I want to go to camp. And we're like, why don't you want to go to camp? Honest to goodness, he looked us right in the eye and said, I want to wear a thong. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, it's not that kind of thong, okay? So then I had to go up to my bedroom, get my flip-flops and say, we used to call these thongs, okay? But they're flip-flops. So really, and so then we went to the person from church that made the list and said, could, we, could, could you start using the word flip-flop for us? And they're like, well, you're from the East, aren't you? You know, you're not from around here. And it's like, yeah, I'm from around here, but my kids aren't. All right, so you got to do that. So, you know, you, you've got some, and then, of course, I've got my mossy oak rubber boots that I can go in the mud and the rain and, the, you know, go into the woods with, and the deer won't see my feet. It'll be great, okay? But all of our shoes have great purpose in our lives, don't they? They do. We have dinner shoes, dancing shoes. I don't have dancing shoes. I don't dance. It, music moves me, moves me, but it moves me ugly, okay? My wife's wished I had dancing shoes, but I don't. You've got Dinner shoes, dancing shoes, church shoes, work shoes, driving shoes, running shoes, walking shoes, hiking shoes, swimming shoes. We have boots for motorcycling, boots for being pretty, boots for skiing, and boots for war. Pick a subject. We have got to get some footwear to go with it. We do. It's got to match. It's got to be colorful. It's got to be stylish because our footwear needs to be more stylish than it does comfortable. It's got to look good. You know how I know? Have you ever seen a woman walking in a pair of high heels that almost broke her ankle? Oh, my word. I'm not saying I ever put on a pair of high heels, but it's like, uh, that's like one of the most dangerous things out there. As much as I like to see my wife in high heels, it's just like, oh, my word. You could, like, lose a leg. And so it's like, we've got shoes that are like, those don't look comfortable, but they sure look good on your feet. That kind of, you know, shoes. But I'm talking about Jesus 
And Jesus was a man on a mission. And Jesus walked. And Jesus walked a lot. When I was thinking about walking and not just moving from one side to another, not just transambulation, okay, that just means walking from one side to another, all right, but walking out this life that God has given to us, and specifically a calling, and listen, every one of you has been called to walk out the mission of Jesus Christ. Some of you are called to go. Jesus shows up and he says, go into the world to make disciples. Some of you are called to come. Come, follow me. Some of you are called to change. There's things in your life where the Lord says, hey, I want your life to be better than what it is, but we've got to change some things. And he's calling you to do it. It's time to, to step up, okay? There's another walking metaphor. So we are all called to produce fruit. We are all called to fund the work. We are all called to share the, the message. We are all called to love the unlovable. We are all called to do the work. And I could go on, but you get it, right? Here's the deal. We are all called to walk out our relationship to Christ by putting it into action. We're all called to do that. When I think about Christmas, I think about all of the people that moved physically moved and walked. You know, it's, it's really nice that everybody thinks that Mary was on a donkey, but the only person that I can see Mary, uh, putting Mary on a donkey is Hallmark. I'm not kidding you. That's the only place that I see that there's any, you know, evidence that Mary might have been on a donkey. I'd like to think Joseph was really, you know, concerned for her well-being at eight and a half months pregnant. But at the same time, it's like, we don't know that. They walked. They walked everywhere. God walked in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve, assuming that they were naked. They were also barefoot. Noah would have been building an ark for 100 years, and I'd like to hope that he had some kind of sandal boot to protect his feet as he walked out his calling so that OSHA didn't show up and shut the project down. You know what I'm saying? Okay, Abraham was called by God, and when God called Abraham, he left his home and he followed. He walked into his new life. He walked into his new location. He walked into a new promise, and he walked into a new son. He walked. He moved. He changed. He kept going. Moses was called to lead the, lead the children of Israel for 40 years in the desert. And I love it how God speaks to him in the book of Deuteronomy. Yet the Lord says, During the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. Your clothes did not wear out, neither did your shoes. For 40 years... God says, you ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I, um, I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. And it's like, oh, wow. Their clothes and their shoes didn't wear. I had three sons. Man, there were summers when they were changing shoe sizes by the week. I wear a size 10, and my kids went 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, when one of them stopped, and the other one said, fine, I'll see that and raise you, 13, 14. Man, you almost can't find size 14 without getting canoes, you know, from Old Town. You know what I'm saying? You got to order it from L.L. Bean. I need a couple of them red canoes for my son. Wow, can you imagine having children putting shoes on their feet, and then for 40 years you never had to buy another set of shoes? Wow. How amazing is that? King David walked out his relationship with God in front of all of us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. Paul was walking to go and arrest more Christians and throw them into jail or worse, and Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, and he spent the next years of his life or the remaining years of his life walking all around trying to spread the gospel of the truth of God's love for you and I. Paul was stoned in Lystra, taken outside of the city, left for dead. He got up and the next morning walked back into the same city 
city of people that tried to kill him to share the message. And then the next day after that, he left to go plant more churches. Jesus walked all over the Middle East from Egypt when he was a young uh, child all the way up to um, Sidon and Tyre. That would be the, the, the northern part of that whole area. And his whole life was spent walking all over that. And he walked out his calling to be the truth, to share the truth, and to submit to the mission. Jesus, on the night that he was arrested, got up from praying, faced the cross, and walked it out to the glory of God. Can you imagine that? They come to arrest him on the night that he was arrested, and he stands up and he says, who is it that you're looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I, who you am looking for, are looking for, am he? And they step back and fall down on the ground. And he says once again, who are you looking for? It's me. And then he goes with them. He walks it out. As Pastor Jeff said a couple weeks ago, who for the joy set before him. And you and I are the joy that was set before him. Certainly not that cross. He walked it out. We've all been called to walk out our callings, and every one of us has a calling. Don't be, don't be shy. In the book of uh, his letter to the church in Philippi, Paul says, only let us live up to what we've already attained. You say that Jesus saved your soul and you're a believer, then it's time for us to start walking it out. It's time for us to up our game. What is it God's calling you to? Because I know this, we do it intentionally because it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast for we are, look at this in verse 10, we are, are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. A long time ago, God prepared things for you to do and we still live in a world where we're like, well, if I say the wrong thing, they'll hate God. If I do the wrong thing, no, 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 no. The reason that God puts you where you are at work, at play, in your families is for you to continue to share the presence and the person of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Okay, I'm just telling you, you absolutely cannot mess it up because you're the person God wants it there so that if you do mess it up, what can happen is God says, great, now you started a conversation that I can finish. But I needed you to screw it up so that I can start the conversation. And you're saying, I know, but I didn't get it right. And God said, I don't need you to get it right. I need you to get it started. But we're afraid to even get it started at work. So many disciples were persecuted and martyred, killed dead because they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we live in a world where it's like, ah, if I say Jesus, they might fire me. Man, what is Jesus going to say to you and I when we face him and say, yeah, but my job? See? What's going on? God prepared a part of the mission for you and I to walk. Also in the book of Ephesians chapter five, uh, 6, it says, And with your feet, dress in the armor of God, and with your feet fitted with the readiness. Readiness. Do it. Standing at the gate. That's a, that's a runner's mark. Readiness. 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 They're going to fire the cannon. It's time to go. It's, it, we're going to run. That's what Paul means when he says with readiness. To go. He said, stand with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Be always ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. In season, out of season, why do you follow Jesus? As we head into Christmas, the shepherds also walked out their part. Suddenly, 
It says, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared to the angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Just because my brain dis- does this. Suddenly, a great company of heaven- the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, you know, there's heavenly hosts and there's angels. Good chance they're two different things. But here we are. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared to the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left, so we know there were multiple, had left them and gone to the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, they ran, they walked, they went to Bethlehem. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They went out and kept walking. And all who heard about it are amazed at what the shepherds said to them. We're called to move, to go, to do. Different times God said, come. Different times God said, go. Lots of times God said, say. Lots of times God said do. As you prepare for this coming Christmas season, where will you walk to? Where are you going? Where are you going for Christmas? What what gatherings, family gatherings, are you headed to? Where are the places? And are you prepared to go to them? Because listen, not every one of us, all of our family are believers, right? They celebrate Christmas, but to some degree it might be for all the wrong reasons. And I'm not saying you've got to stand on a soapbox in the middle of the living room when it's Christmas time and say, before we do anything, let me tell you about your all foolish, con- it's crazy, Jesus is the answer, the reason for this. I'm not saying you've got to do that. But what I'm saying is you are headed to a, a Christmas gathering. Do you really have to make it political to, you know, beat your little sister, your bigger brother down? win the argument does it really have to be that way do you really have to allow separations between you to affect your ability to be together at Christmas do you really have to let the abuse that you take from them be okay when you go to Christmas it's okay to say no it is but where will you go to Christmas? Where will you walk to? Family? Friends? Or are you walking into a change in your life that says something needs to be changed? And that's what Christmas is going to be for us. Okay? What will you walk for this Christmas season? You know how it is when we're all headed to Target, right? Man, you get to Target, you got to walk and walk and walk, and then there's going to be people in front of us. Listen, Target is like the highway. Stay to the right if you're not moving or if you're going slow. If you're moving faster, go to the left. But under any circumstances, don't stop your cart in the middle of the aisle. There are people behind you. They're trying to shop. But what will you walk for? Money and gifts? You know, you don't have to wake up on December 31st and look at the credit card bill and say, wow, is it going to take us six months to get out of this? You don't have to do that. That is not what Christmas was about, and I promise you that is not what Jesus wants for you. It's not. It's okay to simplify it. 
to bring it down and say, I'll walk for Christmas. I'll walk for Jesus. I will find somebody. I always have to do this. I always have to find somebody to do Christmas for that doesn't really know me, that is in need, and if it's possible, to not let them know who did it. When I can do Christmas for somebody with what the Lord has put in my hand to make their life a little bit easier, better, that's Christmas. It's not what I get or what I'm going to get. And who will you walk with? I want to encourage you that you need Jesus in your life. He was the whole point of where everybody was walking to. The Magi walked for years for crying out loud. They walked for years to find that baby. It was worth it to walk for Christ, to walk to the manger, to see the consolation of Israel, to see the Messiah promised all the way back in the book of Genesis chapter 3. It was worth it to make him the center of their lives. And it's still worth it today. And I would encourage you with that. Beyond that, I would say, do you show up to church as a consumer? Hey, do you guys got worship for me? You know, somebody said that to me not long ago. They said something to the effect that, you know, worship's a little different. It's, it's changing. Hey, here's the deal. That should never come out of your mouth or my mouth. Because we're not worshiping for us. We're worshiping Jesus. So we come and we give our worship to Jesus. And when people are like, ah, the worship was just, it's like, time out. Jesus didn't say that. You did, but we weren't worshiping you. And I'm not trying to be mean or nasty. I'm just saying, we, we walk for Christmas. We walk for Christ. We walk to bring our worship to Him. We walk because that's it. We walk together as a community of faith. And we'll bump heads, but we're family. Walk with a community. Pick one. Small group is important if you're a member of this church. Very important. You need to be plugged in. So we can walk. Mary and Joseph walked with their family. Joseph wasn't the only male in his, I mean, yeah, in his family. But they went to Bethlehem because that's where they were from the, from the line of David. As we walk, who is it that you're going to invite to Christmas? Who are you going to invite? The fact of the matter is we've got a lot going on. And we're going to go into this closing song. We're going to wrap things up now. And I'd like for you to come to your feet, if you would. That means stand up. Okay? And we're going to sing this song. I don't know what you may need prayer for. I just know that when we were doing our, the, the singing part of our worship, I was over there and I felt really heavy. And so I just want to say that if there's somebody in this room right here right now that is just feeling overwhelmed and heavy going into the Christmas season. Can I personally pray for you right now? You're looking at Christmas, you're looking at, uh, you know, and you're just like, man, it is heavy. Can I pray for you? Can I do that? Just come on over here, Trent. Yeah. 
It's not always easy. And I'm not just talking about, you know, hey, it gets tough, maybe we're single. But this is a time where maybe we've lost somebody. Or maybe the expectations that people have of Christmas. Or maybe, you know, there's a lot of different things. Maybe you're facing a surgery. Maybe you're facing a, a loneliness. Maybe you're facing a rejection. Maybe you're fa I'm not sure what it is, and I'm not just trying to get people up here. I'm just telling you that when I was singing over there, I almost wanted to leave the room because it felt so heavy. And I was just like, Lord, why is it so heavy in here? And I believe this is why. I believe that sometimes we get to a place that may have nothing to do with Christmas at all. It's after Thanksgiving and we're just feeling the weight. And God is saying, this is what we show up to church for. This is it right here. And so I just want to encourage us and we're going to pray. And, and you guys can play the song while we're doing that. And I could maybe use some prayer people to come up here anyway, um, just because. Um, that will be great. And we're, we're going to pray for these people right here, okay, while they're singing. So let's just start praying for these people, okay?